0: Chapter 20 of Faulkner's Folly by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 20 on the staircase. At Ford's request, the evening was spent without reference to the matter that was uppermost in every mind. At dinner, the detective was merely a pleasant and entertaining guest. Afterward, in the drawing room, he proved himself a good talker and a good listener, and the conversation on all sorts of topics was casual and interesting it was nearly midnight when ford bade them good-night and went to the studio to hold his vigil the others followed him in joyce asking if he would like any refreshment served during the night no he replied it will not be so very long until daylight and too perhaps nothing will happen and i may fall asleep don't worry about me mrs stannard i shall not be at all uncomfortable see i shall sit just where miss vernon sat the other night right here facing the chair in which mr stannard died thus i have my back to the hall door and the north window but i shall make sure that all are securely locked and then if any manifestation occurs i shall have every reason to be sure it is of supernatural origin and that would make you give up the case asked beatrice incredulously i think so returned ford i should probably leave here to-morrow well of all queer detectives said barry stannard as they went from the room and heard the click of the key as it was turned in the door behind them true to his word allan ford examined with minutest care every door and window he made sure no lock or catch was left unfastened and then the lights burning brightly he took his seat just where he had said he would facing the chair in which eric stannard had met his fate also he faced the two doors that led respectively to the billiard-room and the terrace this left more than half the room behind him and out of his line of vision but the detective paid no attention to that part of the studio and rested his contemplative gaze on the great armchair which had helped to stage the tragedy the hours went by allan ford scarcely moved from the easy relaxed position he had taken at first he closed his eyes for the most of the time now and then slowly opening them for a moment His left hand, lying on his knee, clasped some small object. It was shortly after three o'clock in the morning when there was the sound of a click and the lights went out. The studio was in absolute darkness. Ford rose quickly and crossed the room to the light switch by the hall door. He knew the position of the furniture and felt his way by the chairs. As he did so, he heard a long, gasping sigh and a faint cry of, Help! by this time he had reached the switch and turned it on the sudden flash of light showed no one in the room save himself but not pausing to look about he unlocked the hall door passed quickly through and ran up the first steps of the stairs on he went to the second great square landing and there he paused he did not stand still but stepped about on the landing making exclamations to himself and breathing heavily he leaned against the baluster tapping on the newel post with his fingers Then he sat down on the lowest step of the third or upper division of the flight. He sat, tapping his foot against the stair, he even whistled a little under his breath. He seemed anxious not to be silent. There was a low light in all the halls, and occasionally Ford leaned his head over the baluster and commanded a view of the hall below. Half an hour passed, and then Joyce Stannard appeared from the hall above. She wore a boudoir gown and slippers, and her weary eyes betokened a sleepless night she started with surprise at sight of allan ford on the stairs but he made a motion requesting her to be silent and taking a bit of paper from his pocket he wrote say no word go back to the hall above and remain there but out of sight of this spot until i summon you Overhear all you can but on no account let yourself be seen joyce read the strange message and going back up the few steps she had descended she sat on a hall window-seat concealed by a light curtain Then Allan Ford, with a short, sad sigh, stood up and approached the panelled wall of the staircase. Down the flights the panels, of course, slanted, but on the landing they were in level row. Placing his lips to the wall itself, Ford said, in a clear, low whisper, "'Will you come out?' From behind the wall he heard an agonised moan. "'It would be better,' he said gently. "'Do come.' Another moment passed, and then— a panel of wainscot slid open and beatrice faulkner stepped forth onto the landing you know all she said and her great despairing eyes looked into those of the detective almost all he returned and his glance at her was infinitely sad you killed stannard yes she said and she swayed as if she would fall to the floor ford assisted her to stand and then gently aided her to a seat on the stair where he had sat a moment since beatrice sank to the step and ford closed the panel she had left open he did not look into the place to which the panel gave entrance for he knew what it was it was the space above the reception room he had seen when he entered the house that since the reception room and the studio were next each other and yet there was five or six feet difference in the height of their respective ceilings that space must be a sort of loft or waste room it showed from none of the sides both hall and studio were high sealed the staircase well reached to the roof there was no explanation of the discrepancy but a waste space the size of the reception room and about six feet in height this space of course abutted on the studio the hall the stairs and on the other side the outer or terrace wall in the studio the balcony ran along the wall at about the height of the stair landing on the other side ford guessed at once that ingress to that waste space must be had from the studio or the stair landing or both he now was sure that panels from both opened into it as he closed the panel he noted that there was no secret or concealed fastening merely an ordinary flush spring-catch inconspicuous but not hidden ford turned to the woman on the stairs he sat down beside her tell me all about it he said and his voice was so gentle his face so sad that beatrice turned to him as to a friend there is little to tell she said wearily it is the story of a great love-a love too big and strong to be conquered by a weak-willed woman i tried oh i tried don't give way mrs Faulkner. just tell me the main facts you knew mr stannard years ago i was his first love we were schoolmates i always loved him more than loved him i worshipped adored him he loved me but he was always fickle he loved every woman he saw then he married his first wife i mean And I thought I should die. But never mind the past. I married, and I tried to forget Eric. My husband built this beautiful home, but he had financial troubles and couldn't keep it. Eric Stannard bought it, and meanwhile his wife had died, and he married my friend Joyce. I tried to be reconciled, but the demon of jealousy tore my very heart out. I gave over this house to them and went away. A portrait of myself was to be a part of the purchase price and even though i knew it would be acute torment to see eric happy here with joyce i came to stay a month and have the picture painted as i feared the necessarily intimate association between the artist and myself quickened my never-dying love for him until i was almost frantic i could have stood it though had it been only his wife but when he fell desperately in love with the model i resented it for joyce and myself both but i had no thought of killing him don't think that it was done on a sudden impulse then ford was watching her closely he knew that her enforced calm might give way at any instant and he strove to speak quietly and lead her gently on to a confession moreover he trusted that joyce was listening as he had asked her to do thus the confession would be witnessed it was this way and beatrice looked piteously into his kind eyes mr wadsworth asked me that night to marry him we were in the drawing-room as you know i wouldn't say yes for i still had a faint hope of winning eric it was absurd for me to think of it but i was desperate after mr wadsworth left me i sat a moment in the drawing-room and then i resolved to go to eric by the secret passage of which only he and i knew and beg him to put joyce away and take me i say this without shame for i was and am still so madly in love with him that i had no shame regarding it and would have suffered any ignominy or humiliation to win him i went through that small space it is not really a secret but no one has ever noticed it and i went through to the studio and stepping in the room on the little balcony i saw eric below me gazing at the etching of natalie with an adoring look he bent down and kissed the picture and then i descended the stairs and spoke to him i told him that natalie loved barry and hated him i urged him to divorce joyce and let her marry eugene courtney and i begged him to marry me he laughed at me i shall never forget that laugh but that wasn't why i killed him it was because he turned again to that picture of natalie and into his face came a look that i had never seen there a look of love such as i had never been able to call forth on his face a worshipping passion that transcended all love i had ever dreamed of and that he felt for a little girl who hated him jealousy maddened me and snatching up an etching tool i marred the wax beyond recognition he turned on me his face livid with rage the contrast the look of love he had for the girl the look of venomous hate he gave me bereft me of my senses no i do not mean i did not know what i was doing i did know i fully meant at that moment to kill him and then to kill myself that we might at least die together i should not have thought of killing him if i hadn't chanced to have that tool in my hand nor should i have wanted to kill him but for his scorn of me and his love for her the two together drove me wild and i stabbed him in a moment of fierce passion that was love not hate then as i was about to draw forth the needle and stab myself i saw that he was not dead He looked at me, and I couldn't say it was with hatred. I think, I honestly think, that he gloried in my deed. You cannot understand. It is a strange idea, but I think he realized at last the depth of my love and appreciated it. Anyway, I read that in his face, and I couldn't bring myself to leave a world that still held him. I didn't dare remove the needle lest it bring about his death i didn't dare remain and be found there with him my mind fairly flew i thought so fast and so clearly i concluded to escape by the panel and return quickly through the hall and thus coming upon him apparently innocently save his life you crossed the room form prompted for the speaker's strength was failing yes i crossed the room as deliberately as if nothing had happened i turned off the light that i might make good my escape i flew through the panelled space and in a few seconds i was out at this end here on this landing and down the stairs i saw at once that blake had heard something but whether it was a sound from eric or the noise of my departure i did not then know i spoke to the man and the rest you know you were surprised when the light was turned on to see the two women there i was dumbfounded i couldn't think at first what it would mean to me or to them I had no thought of allowing them to be suspected of the crime, but circumstances were too strong for me. They were found there, near the dying man. I had, to all appearances, come in from the other end of the room. Naturally, they were suspected. And then, reaction had come. No longer was I keyed up by that torment of jealousy, that spur of scorned love. I had time to think. Even when all were wondering and questioning, I had time to think and i concluded i would never confess unless i was obliged to do so to save someone else i decided to devote every energy and use every effort to divert suspicion from all in the household it was i who really arranged for-for the clairvoyant said ford as beatrice paused from sheer weakness of breath yes you understand that you hired her instructed her to write to mrs stannard and you told her what to say Yes. I wanted her to make it appear that the murderer was a man who had entered through the billiard room. I meant for the man's identity to be absolutely unknown, but they managed to fasten it on Mr. Courtney and my plan failed utterly. And then? Then I had about decided to tell the truth. When they arrested Barry, I quite decided. And then you came. I knew that was my death knell. "'But when you said if the spirit manifestation appeared in the studio tonight, that was a trap, wasn't it?' "'Yes, Mrs. Faulkner, it was a trap. "'I knew whoever had been playing spirit by the use of the panelled space would do it again tonight at my words, and I felt sure it would be you. "'I am sorry. "'I believe you are, Mr. Ford. "'I know from your whole attitude you are sorry for me. "'Otherwise I could not have told you all this as I have done.' you are more like a father confessor than a detective it helps a little to know you are sorry for me how did orienta read the papers the pocket light method yes she is very clever i've known her for years she is not a medium at all i persuaded her that to do as i asked would save innocent people from being suspected of course she didn't know i was guilty and you were goldenheart yes it was eric's old pet name for me he wrote that letter to me giving me the emeralds if i would cease asking for his love he said i knew where the jewels were because he always kept them in the panelled space that's what we called it and joyce did overhear him saying to me in the studio practically what he had written in the letter had she not been so wrapped up in her own heart trouble she would have heard it clearly of course too that little golden heart that was bought and never presented was meant for me "'You told Orienda to say that Mr. Stannard said neither Natalie nor Joyce?' "'Yes, for I really think that was what he did mean to say. "'He wouldn't implicate me even with his dying breath, but he tried to clear them. "'He was a wonderful man, Mr. Ford. "'Not a good man, perhaps, but a brave one. "'He would have defended any or all of us, but he had no chance. "'My love for him has been the mainspring of my whole life.' Instead of forgetting him, I grew more madly in love with him year by year. I had no business to come here and let him paint me. Those hours when I posed for him were the happiest I have ever known. That's why the portrait is of a happy woman. I hoped against hope that I could yet win him back. But I couldn't. I can only follow him the quietness of beatrice's voice had lulled any suspicions ford might have had of her intent and when she drew from the folds of her bodice an etching needle exactly like the one that had killed eric and drove it into her own breast ford wheeled suddenly and grasped her hand but too late the deed was done at his exclamation joyce ran down from the hall above where she had been listening to beatrice's story she sank down beside the wounded woman and took the drooping figure in her arms forgive moaned beatrice joyce forgive i-i loved him so yes yes soothed joyce scarce knowing what she said what can we do mr ford oh what can we do nothing i fear call help shall i ring ford hastened to the nearest bell he could notice and rang it immediately people began to gather servants family and all sorts of contradictory orders were given but with his finger on the pulse of the dying woman the detective tried to learn yet more facts the will he asked bending above her who changed it eric himself beatrice answered that's why oh eric her face beamed with a strange radiance and then sinking back in joyce's arms beatrice Faulkner breathed her last the next day allan ford declared he must hasten away as his engagements were pressing but tell us more of your work implored bobbsey roberts give us a few moments more and tell us about the clairvoyant woman said barry if she was a fake how did she read those papers in the dark i realized before i came up here at all said ford that there had to be some secret means of entrance to the studio i see now it was never meant to be a secret the architect made the reception-room ceiling lower than the studio ceiling because it was a smaller room and he observed due proportions this left a space there but it was not concealed or hidden the catches on both doors are merely small ones and inconspicuous but not concealed mr faulkner left all the house plans in that loft and eric stannard knew of it he chose to conceal his jewels there as being a convenient place only he and mrs faulkner knew of the space but that was merely a chance happening he in no sense kept it a secret when i read the accounts in new york papers i felt the case must hinge on another entrance of some sort when i reached here i saw at once that there was a discrepancy in the heights of those two ceilings and i worked from that i was sure the spirit manifestations were made possible by human means working through that concealed space and i found i was right i assumed it was probably mrs Faulkner who played the spirit as she refused to show the plans of the house and my theories based on those plans left her free to do all she did do without being discovered i found she could have placed the jewels on the table that night and returned to her room through the little loft and be seated at her desk writing when mrs stannard reached her room she said she heard mrs stannard coming upstairs but as the door was shut and the stairs thickly carpeted this was unlikely so I assumed she was expecting her. All facts pointed to the guilt of Mrs. Faulkner, but they were by no means obvious. So, when I said if spirits came to the studio last night I should drop the case today, I meant because it would be solved. But Mrs. Faulkner thought I would give it up as unsolvable, so she played spirit again. I had in my hand a tiny mirror of the sort that shows what is passing at one's back, i heard as i sat there the soft opening of the panel in the studio balcony and i knew she was coming down the little stair i heard her click off the light and just as she did so i caught a glimpse of her in my mirror so i went out at the hall door snapping on the lights as i passed and went up on the grand staircase knowing i would head her off and have her practically penned in there mrs stannard found me waiting there and i arranged for her to witness the confession that i knew must come i did not foresee that mrs Faulkner would take her own life but perhaps it is as well there was no happiness or peace for her in this world it was better she should expiate her own sin poor soul she was a victim of a love that proved too great for her human nature to strive against as to the will i felt sure mr stannard had made that change himself it looked like his writing and i felt sure neither miss vernon nor mr barry stannard would have done it and you picked out the truth from the maze of probabilities and suspicion and false evidence bobbsey looked at the great detective in an awed way i gained most of my information and formed most of my conclusions from my talks with each one separately i am a fairly good judge of character and i saw at once neither mrs stannard nor miss vernon was guilty they were both uncertain and indefinite in their testimony they scarcely knew even the sequence of events at the time of the tragedy If they had been telling untruths, they would have been positive in their statements. Also, I saw at once Barry Stannard and Miss Vernon more than half feared each other guilty, and each was ready for any sacrifice or effort to save the other. This let them both out, for neither could be guilty and suspect someone else. Mr. Courtney had practically no real evidence against him, so it came back to Mrs. Faulkner. I talked to her enough to strengthen my suspicion in that direction, and then tested her by the night in the studio she proved herself the source of the spiritual manifestations and showed how she did it that left only the matter of getting her confession i feel deep pity for the poor woman she led a sad miserable existence because of a mistaken love also i must admit that she was of a different stamp from the people here mrs Faulkner was capable of strong passion that did not stop at crime i judge the rest of you would not be and i do not think i am mistaken in that Helen ford looked around at the pure sweet face of natalie the noble countenance of joyce and the brave boyish frankness that shone in barry's glance and sighed as he thought of the smouldering fires in the deep eyes of the woman who was conquered by her own evil passion but tell us about the sealed reading insisted bobbsey as ford rose to go oh yes cried natalie how was that done one of the tricks of the trade said ford you know there are dozens of ways to read sealed writings yes but what did she use this way you know i insisted on a full description of her dress when i found it was a full pattern and made of an opaque material i understood you see if a message is written with ink and if the paper is slipped unfolded into a moderately thin envelope the writing can be read with ease in the dark by holding an electric pocket flashlight behind the envelope orienta the room being darkened drew the loose folds of her gown over her head and thus shielded took a little flashlight from her pocket read them all by its aid then returning the light to her pocket remembered the questions and spoke them out both with and without a light the second time i believe she read the first ones in the dark and the others in the light there were no signatures but she had learned each one's handwriting from the first lot the thing is simple and is the most mystifying of all sealed paper readings will it always work asked roberts greatly interested in total darkness yes go into a dark closet and try it of course orienta's drapery served to aid her and also to conceal the light from her audience and all the answers she made up or beatrice had told her said natalie thoughtfully yes said ford and now i must go i shall hope to meet you all again some day and if i can tell you anything more you care to learn about these make-believe wizards i shall be glad to do so he went away and barry and natalie went off by themselves to rejoice in the fact that all veils of suspicion were lifted from them and that they had long years ahead to help one another to forget the past and make a radiant happy future Joyce had a quiet knowledge that sometime in the coming years she too would again know happiness, and all united in a sad pity for the beautiful but misguided woman whose hand wrought the tragedy of Faulkner's Folly. End of chapter 20 End of Faulkner's Folly by Carolyn Wells Recorded by Céline Major